Dose of Leadership Podcast, Episode 72. Welcome to another episode of the Dose of Leadership Podcast, the show that brings you inspiring and educational interviews with today's most relevant and motivating leaders. Each episode is dedicated to highlight real-life leadership and influence experts who dedicate their lives to the pursuit of the truth, common sense, and courageous leadership. And now, here's your host, Richard Ryerson. Hey everybody, welcome to the show. This is Richard Ryerson. Thanks for tuning in to another episode. This show is brought to you by my sponsor, Audible.com. If you're like me, you like to read, but you're having trouble finding the time to squeeze in all those great books, well, Audible.com is a perfect solution. Audiobooks are great. I never thought I would like them, but I love them now. It's a great way to get caught up. I listen to get caught up on the book as I'm driving to work, if I'm exercising, any free time, working out in the yard, I can get caught up in all my reading. You can go to uh, my website, doseofleadership.com slash audible, and you can uh, download a free audiobook. Any audiobook they have, over 100,000 titles to choose from, you can download it for free, listen to it. You can sign up for 30 days with no obligation. If you don't like it after 30 days, you can cancel your subscription. But again, it's no risk to you. Go check out doseofleadership.com slash audible and make your smartphone smarter. Well, I'm excited to introduce in the Dose of Leadership podcast today, the Leadership Freak. I'm so excited to say that and, and introduce Dan Rockwell to you. He's been helping readers reach leadership levels and higher higher levels of leadership uh, through his very popular blog, blog. It's my favorite blog. It's called Leadership Freak. He does it in 300 words or less. He talks about leadership. He's passionate about it. And uh, Dan, welcome to the Dose of Leadership podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Well, I was so excited to have to introduce you as a leadership freak. I love the title, and I told you in the pre-interview that you that you have my um, your blog is my favorite, and I don't know how you do it. I mean, you've got two hundred, almost two hundred ten thousand followers, but I don't know much about you. Tell me a little bit more about how you became so passionate about leadership. So, give us a little background about yourself. Well, actually, Richard, I'm solving my own problems. Um, I've spent so many years having leadership positions, but really sucking at leadership, (laughs) but thinking I was okay at it, you know, thinking I was good at it, which probably is the most dangerous type of leader in the world. And, uh, you know, as time went by, I I started realizing that I I wasn't getting where I wanted to go. Uh, I wasn't being as effective as I wanted to be. And uh, it was about four years ago that uh, I had taken the month of July off and I really had one of those epiphanies, one of those moments where you you look back and you say, and I'm saying to myself, you know, I had higher expectations for you. And uh, I'm saying back to myself, you're right. I mean, you, 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 you're doing okay, but what happened? And that's when the burden and the passion for getting better at leadership really emerged in my own heart. And then, I, so I started writing. About a year later, I started writing uh, the Leadership Freak blog, and honestly, I'm the audience. I'm writing about what I'm learning. I mean, it's not a diary blog, and it's not a, oh, I'm doing this and I'm doing that. I, I never really wanted to do that, but in the end, the principles and the ideas and the things that I'm writing about are things that usually I'm grappling with or things that are important to me or things that I'm learning. So the blog is an extension of my own journey. I'm, I'm just saying thanks for uh, saying that you enjoy it. Um, it. It always feels good to do something that's useful to others. Yeah, it's a, it's a great, I'm all about common sense, practical advice. I'm not a big fan of ethereal 
leadership thesis and, and uh, where you fit in a graph and all that other stuff. I like just straightforward, common sense, practical advice. That's what your blog is chock full of. Where did you work in those 20 years? Were you a pastor at one time? Did I read that too? Yes, I have a, a pretty diverse background, which I'm very thankful for. I'm a farm boy from Maine originally, uh, but went off for my first educational experience with uh, at a Bible school. Uh, and since then, um, I've been engaged in, non-pro- in the nonprofit world and in church ministry, and also spent 15 years working for a Penn State affiliate here as a workforce development consultant. I've had my own business, um, and, so, and so I've been engaged with... Uh, nonprofit, for-profit, and education uh, for many years. So I'm very thankful for that broad kind of experience that I have. I think it helps me, you know, because I I get to see life from quite a broad perspective. Yeah. I'm curious what you think about, you know, your passions and why you're so passionate about leadership. Someone asked me that the other day, and the, the first word that came to my mind was a bankruptcy. And they go, what do you mean? And I said, well, it just seems like uh, they're, um, we're bankrupt in um, the way we view leadership. We're bankrupt in kind of our uh, the way we view society, cultural work. Just, it, that was the word that stuck out in my mind. I've been on this big kick about authenticity and vulnerability. What, what do you think about it when you hear those words, courageous authenticity and vulnerability? Well, I, th- I think they're really needed in the leadership world today. I think they're missing. I think we, we try to posture, we try to pretend that we're something we're not, and, and in some cases I think we even start believing what we're pretending is true. You know, we, we, we get all pompous and we get full of ourselves and, and uh, we start looking down at people. And I, I, I'm, I'm with you, Richard. I, I, this, this idea that um, leadership is really about who we are before what we do mm-hmm. is, is central to what's driving me these days. Yeah, I'm with you on that. I think my kind of leadership aha moment was, you know, when I was so focused on early on about the position, the title, about how much knowledge I had. And then it really kind of hit me maybe 15 years ago or so that, you know, um, people really don't care how much I know. They really don't care much about my title um, until they until they saw that I cared about them, that's when things really started changing for me anyway on a leadership journey that when I took all the emphasis away from myself and where I was going and worried about what was on my the title on my business card and started focusing and genuinely caring about people, that's when for me the leadership journey really took a different direction. Yeah, I think we have kind of a parallel path there. A part of my journey includes this idea that it's not about what you know and it's not about the title and also you know i find that leaders really just want to be told tell me what they say tell me what to do tell me how to have the tough conversation tell me how to solve problems tell me how to run meetings effectively and then you, you step back and say well you know it's really about who you are and it's sort of like the excitement drains because i just really need to know how to solve today's problems the i think the problem with that approach is that we our lives start to get fragmented, and we become these people who apply techniques and strategies yeah. to things, but we really don't know who we are, and because we don't, it's difficult to connect with others. I agree with you. I think if knowing yourself is probably, for me anyway, and being honest with yourself about who you are was probably the most difficult part of my leadership journey anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in, in 
we all have our kind of splat moment where we hit the ground and we finally look in the mirror and say, you know, I don't like who I'm looking at in the mirror. Um, and I don't really think you can start becoming an effective leader until you do that. I mean, your splat moment can be minor and sometimes it can be life altering and, and huge. But I think until you can be honest with who you actually are, you're always going to struggle in your leadership journey, right? I think so. You know, and I, I like your splat imagery. I'm not sure if that comes from your pilot background or not. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little scary. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm with you. For me, I think it took the most courage to look within. It, it yeah. takes so much more courage to kind of do a, a honest assessment and, and say, I, I don't like this or I do like this or... I'm not as good at this as I thought I was, and boy, you know those are those are very painful and tough moments. And I, you know, I've been there. I, I'm glad you've been there because what it says to me is it signals these moments of reinvention. I'm a huge fan of crisis. I think and midlife crisis and all these other kinds of things because these are the high potential moments in our leadership journey. These are the things. These are the times when we radically change versus just incrementally improve. And I, you know, when you hit the bottom or when I hit bottom and, and you know, we're, we're going to do this more than once, uh, this is when life and leadership really, I think, opens up for us. I agree. I agree with you. So, you know, I get asked a lot, what are the secrets to, uh, to being a successful leader? I, I never really know what to, to say. I think I, that's where I kind of came up with the authenticity piece and being real. What do you say when someone asks you, what is the secret to being a successful leader? I get people that ask me that, it seems like they want a, a quick fix answer. And I don't think sometimes they like my answer that when I tell them it, it is a daily uh, journey that never ends. Yeah, I like, uh, I'll, I'll tell you how I would respond to this, and that is bring yourself to the challenge or opportunity. Mm. I, I think that's the secret. Just know who you are, know your strengths. And, and bring yourself to that opportunity. Um, if you don't mind, I, I have a couple of st- I have a story about this oh, yeah, uh, that I, I think is just is so encouraging to me. Um, I know a guy who's changed who changed the world, and um, he died a few years ago. But every time we fly over uh, any distance, we see the impact of his life. When you look out the window, you see all across the country the uh, uh, effect of what this guy did. Uh, to just cut to the chase, his name is Carl Stutz. Carl Stutz, okay. And most people, and when I speak, I you know, I often tell this story, and I'll say, you know, uh, the guy's name is Carl Stutz. Does anybody know who that is? And it's extremely rare for anybody to even know. And, and I ask people to guess, well, what do you think this guy did? Well, what he did is invent Little League. Oh, wow. And what, you know, everybody was playing baseball before Little League, but they didn't play with, the kids didn't play with uniforms and bats and umpires and, you know, rules and, and all that kind of stuff. And Carl Stutz uh, was playing baseball with his two nephews on a summer afternoon, tripped over a shrub, scraped his ankle. He's sitting on the back porch, and he says to his two nephews, how would you like to play baseball on a real field? with real bats and real bases and real uniforms. It's it's a profound story, and, and, and all Carl did was really just bring his own passion to do good 
to that situation. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the rest is history. Millions of both adults and, and young people across the globe have, have been touched by a man by the name of Carl Stutz, who most, of, most people don't even know. He never took a penny from Little League. All he did was brought himself to the challenge. Oh, I love that. Isn't that great? What a great story. Yeah, and there's so much to that. You're right. I mean, he, he and I love how you said that, bring yourself to the challenge of the opportunity. That's the part about, you know, there, there's courage wrapped up in that for sure. And I think a lot of times people scare themselves or talk themselves out of leadership because they don't think they can be courageous. I, I think you're right, Richard. And if you, if another story, that this one comes, if you don't mind me using yeah, a, ahead, an yeah. Old Testament story, um, you know, is uh, the classic story of overcoming impossible odds that comes out of the Old Testament, and that is the David and Goliath story. Right. And, and that story also is a story of a young person who brought himself to the challenge. And what I find fascinating about that story is that the people who should have been facing the challenge of Goliath tried to tell David how to do it, even though they weren't doing it. And I think this is also a problem for us, because it may be our inner voice that says we can't do it, but we also have people on the outside who are, aren't doing it, who are giving us counsel, or who are saying, you know, you can't do it, or you should do it this way. And when you read the story, you know, they tried to put traditional armor on him, and they tried, you know, tried, you know, he wasn't trained in military mm-hmm. uh, warfare, so, that, you know, they put on the traditional, you know, take the sword, take the, you know, and, and finally, if you read the story, David said, I, you know, I, can't, I can't move with this stuff. And he ended up down at a brook with a slingshot and uh, picking out five stones. That was what he was used to. He was a young shepherd boy. He knew how to use a sling. So all he did was brought himself. Yeah, what a classic story. We all know that story, but you're right. It, it, uh, the whole idea of courage... Um is an interesting one. It's so needed, and it tied into that bankruptcy thing. I think we're bankrupt in our courage. And um, I know I was given a presentation about that uh, a couple months ago, and someone asked me, he said, well, you know, I don't have what it takes to be courageous. And I said, that's foolish. We all have what it takes. And and for me, when you start looking at courage, I, I originally looked at courage as those larger-than-life moments, you know, those, those, those life-or-death-type situations and you put yourself in that you know, landing on the Hudson, you know, with no engines after you hit a flock of birds, or Neil Armstrong landing on the moon with eleven seconds of gas left, or you know, something of that effect. But the reality is, you know, everybody in those situations were scared at some level. And the fact, to me, you know, the the, the whole idea of um, I think we think we don't need to be afraid, or we can't be afraid to be courageous. If you talk to Sully Sullenberger when he landed on that plane, his quote was on 60 Minutes that it was the most sickening bottom of the, you know, pit of the stomach falling through the floor feeling he's ever had in his life. He was petrified, but you never would have known it, right? I mean, he was forced in that decision, so it wasn't like, you know, he had to do something. He had to act calm. He compartmentalized. But I guess my point is, is that even if you choose as a father for the first time to give grace over the evening meal and you've never done it before, that can be the most petrifying thing you've ever done in your life. But if you choose to do it anyway, that's courage. And uh, that's what's lacking. If you choose, because courage is a choice. And that's what, that's, I guess, my long winded kind of 
soapbox there is that if you look, know that courage is a choice, then we're all capable of courageous acts. And um, I don't know. I think, what, what do you think about that? You know, I, 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 as you're talking, I'm, I'm thinking about in my own journey, courage is getting past talking in theory and in generalities and coming up with a concrete next step for some, some project or activity. To me, that's courage. Yeah. You know, because I can say all I want. Hey, I want to do something about leadership. I want, you know, oh, isn't leadership terrible in the world? Yeah, it sucks. You know, it's awful. Think about the government. Who's leading us? You know, and we can, we can talk around things. And we, but what I, for me, it just in my own life, courage is what is the next thing you could do today? To make a difference in this situation that you're talking about. Don't talk to me about next month. Don't talk to me about next year. Talk to me about what can... And, and I think the courage to be small is also useful. Mm, yeah. The courage to not solve everything. The courage to say, I don't really know what five steps down the road looks like. All I know is this, this is the smartest thing I can think of to do right now. And rather than do nothing, I'm going to take a step here and... and go somewhere, learn, maybe I'll have to adjust, maybe I'll have to adapt, but I'm going to take a step and, and uh, make a difference. To me, that's that day-to-day courage. I feel, I feel it. I feel the need for it every day. And I'll tell you something else, Richard. When you sit in a meeting and you start to press people for the next step, that's where the courageous people start to emerge and yep. the fearful people start to shrink. Great point. Like, yep. You know, I don't want to hear about, uh, you know, the big gigantic thing out there. And like you're saying, you know, land the plane, whatever. Just tell me, what can we do today or this week to solve this problem or make this better? Uh, Doug Conant said, you don't have to go all the way to bright. You know, you just have to make it a little brighter. That's all. Yeah, I love that. I interviewed yeah. him. He was a great interview, too. I love talking He's to him. A, He's a wonderful guy. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love the fact that it is about making – for me, it's listening to your gut. And if your gut's kind of in the, the butterflies and um, uh, for me, um, I know I'm in the right direction. I'm, I'm, and I, I listen to that intently. Why am I getting nervous? Why are there butterflies? Um, for me, that is um, – that is something to marinate and to reflect and to, to, to be conscious of making a choice based on where I'm at. I don't know. That, that's just kind of me listening to my gut, doing what makes me afraid, I think, and, and being conscious about it. That's my attempt at being courageous and, uh, and it's basically doing the right thing, right? I mean, it's listening to your gut and doing what's right regardless of the consequences. Um, that's the idea of courage for me. Yeah, I think so. I, I think there is a sense that fear can guide us. It can show us the way. Now, obviously, in, or, in an organization's life, fear uh, is, uh, is something that can help us prevent problems and, and those types of things. That's important, you know, a fear of losing customers or something. But there's another side of this, I think, and that's the courageous side, which I much prefer, you know, making a, a courage-based decision versus a fear-based decision. I think one is kind of running away and the other is running toward. Yeah. And uh, I, I think the next decision, the next courageous step, obviously, is right behind the door that has the word fear on it. Because we have to open that up and take that step yeah. into what, what it is that makes us afraid. I like that. You know, I'm curious about what your thoughts on. One thing that I'm really passionate about in the kind of my leadership journey is this whole idea of charisma. I was bought in early on when I you know, got off the 
bus at officer candidate school for the Marine Corps. And I remember get, you know, getting yelled in my face and this drill instructor was telling me, boy, you better start learning out how to have command presence because you have none. And I remember when he was saying that and thinking, yeah, command presence. And I heard that word. What a haughty, heavy word that was. And in my mind, command presence was, you know, you got to be this larger than life, six feet four, square jaw, booming voice, you know, walk in a room and everybody just was going to follow you through the gates of hell. Well, I'm none of those. And for a while, I tried to, you know, live up to that charismatic image. And a lot of the people who sh- who shined early on in my Marine Corps, my peers, were those who had that right stuff. But what I found over time was the ones that were calm all the time, they were competent, they were consistent, they were courageous like we talked about, all of those things, those are the ones that had real command presence and a, and a natural command presence kind of came forth. So I'm not a big fan. I think two people focus on the charisma side of leadership and they don't dive or look at themselves as leaders because they're not charismatic. What do you think about all I, what I just said there? You know, my own journey is uh, relying on personality and enthusiasm and passion and and uh, charisma for early on and really for a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what that uh, was is the idea that somehow I had to convince reluctant followers through my passion, through my personality. I had to be like convincing people to do what I wanted them to do. Mm-hmm. And one of the real shifts in leadership that's happened for me is that if you think about charisma as you defined it as like being larger than life, I'm going to step into a room and be larger than life. I think leadership charisma is making other people larger than life. Yeah. I think it's shifting from putting the spotlight on on me as a leader and putting the spotlight on others. I want you know I used to want people to understand me and my passion. Now my job is to understand them and their passion. I used to want people to adjust to me, and now I'm learning that leadership is about adjusting to others. Some, you know, for example, some people like to be spoken to very directly. Other people prefer a conversation and need a little more time. Some people, they don't really need a lot of attention. Other people need more attention. So as a leader, I'm learning to not ask people to adapt to me, but learning to adapt to them, learning what's important to them. So, yeah, the leader as the as the star, um, overall, I would put that in the problematic category. I would, I would too. And um, no, I love that. I love everything you said there. I run a couple uh, leadership mastermind groups, and one of the things we were talking about um, in this weekend, on one of the, the groups I was with, is is the question was asked: Well, how do you, how do you, if leadership is influence, how do you, how do you gain the influence? And I think. I know I did early on, like you just said, it was about I will wow them with my charisma and my knowledge, and I was being somebody that I wasn't, and I wasn't getting very far. But the second that you turned around, like you said, and you start asking the questions like, how can I help you? What can I do to help you succeed? What can I do to help you teach you to take my job? When you put that focus externally, that's when things start changing. That's how you as a leader gain influence by giving value to others. I mean, it's a whole idea of servant leadership. If you give value to others and you've put all of your intent and your heart and your focus and a genuine interest to give value to others, your influence automatically increases tenfold. I think one of the great ways to show people that you value them is to understand them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When we and as a leader, when we understand them, we understand what's important to them and where they want to go, for example, and, and, 
that we're helping them get there, and we understand their challenges and their frustrations. When people feel understood, they open our their hearts to us. Well, in order to influence somebody, they have to give you permission. You can coerce somebody without their permission. Yeah. But influence requires permission. And I think the only way that people give us permission to influence them is if they feel understood and they feel like we're on their team. And, and you know, rather than, you know, again, back to this star leader, rather than asking people to get on my team, now as a leader I'm trying to figure out how do I get on your team. And obviously we're aligned with organizational mission and vision, and, and if we don't share those values and mission and vision, then, then we don't match. And, and so one of us needs to, you know, find a new place to serve. But as long as we're aligning on mission, vision, and values as a leader, I'm I'm – my real question is, how do I get on your team and help you get where you want to go? Because we're really going in the same direction. Yeah. I've been criticized in the past from senior leadership and focusing on the relationship aspect of it and um, as almost being it too touchy-feely. Um, have you ever been faced with that? You know, let's face it, when we're in a corporate environment, or you know, we've got a lot of things to do and it just seems so overwhelming and, and the leadership team seems to... I don't know, maybe wrongly focus on trying to solve all the problems when the problems will be solved by all the people you're accountable for. And to me, it feels like the the leader should be putting all of his or her energy and trying to develop those relationships like you talked about. Again, not, you know, not, you know, crossing any fraternization lines, but at least getting to know who these people are, what their, you know, names of their spouse, their kids, what their passions, their dreams and their goals are. There's tremendous value in that, and it takes a lot of effort too, and a lot of time. And I just, I just think people, not without malice or intent, um, they just, they just don't feel like you have the time for that kind of touchy feely stuff. Have you ever been criticized for that? Well, I, I'll tell you, the whole touchy feely and the leader not being the star. What I have seen is sometimes people resist this because there is almost a dependence, a, a sense of learned helplessness in organizations where. Uh, we need a leader to lead us, you know what I'm saying, mm-hmm. to tell us where to go and tell us what to do. And when a leader starts to shift and say no, uh, you know, I mean, obviously, again, I, I, as part of this conversation, mission, vision, and values aren't part of this. So we're just assuming there's agreement that we're heading in right. the same direction. So when the, when the leader steps back and says, I'm not going to try to pressure you to be like I want you to be, Let's figure out how we can release you to fulfill our mission. It gets what it what it is is a shift in who's responsible for solving the problems, and and when you start to shift that away from okay, I'm going to give you the answer, I'm the leader, and you start to shift toward uh, no, you know, this is a situation that you're facing. How can I help you solve it? there is a responsibility that has to emerge among the troops, if you allow me to say troops here. And there can be some reluctance. There can be fear. What if I fail? What are you going to do if I fail? That, and what I'm hitting on here, I think, is when an organization shifts from the star-style leader to a flatter style, where you know more people have more authority and more power. Right. And d- during that shift time, it can be awkward, and there can be resistance to uh, for fear of failure because it it's uh where, who's going to lead us if you know you're not going to you know stand up and say do this do that do this 
So, yeah, I hear what you're saying. I think there can be some resistance, plus just the idea that we have, we have bought into our own fantasy, that somehow I am the leader who knows. Mm-hmm. I know the answer. Right. And if you ask me, it's just baloney. It is. You know? Well, yeah. it takes, you know, I, and I would think that there's, you gain a tremendous amount of uh, respect and confidence from your folks if you are completely honest that if you don't know, you know, it takes confidence to admit that. And, um, and, and the reality is people know if you don't know anyway, you can't fake it, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think the thing that makes that work is the optimism that we can figure it out. Right. Exactly. <laughs> To me, this this thing of uh, authenticity has to be. Uh, in, there are several things that have to be included with it, and you know, authenticity is not like, oh, I feel alone. You know, this is a hard job. Would you please feel sorry for me? Authenticity is about. Well, I don't have all the answers, but I'm certainly eager to work to find them with with you. Um, you know, I, I'm not certain of the outcome of this situation, but I believe we can we can find a great solution to the situation together. So that I, I really think optimism and authenticity have to be tied together. If not, I think you may spiral downward yeah. into let's all just feel good about each other. Yeah, I love that. I love the fact that there's you know having uh, the belief in that that's where the kind of the faith comes in. There's a lot of faith involved in in genuine leadership. The faith that you suspend the belief um, that you know exactly how you're going to get this done. Does that make sense? You suspend, you know, that you're confident. I don't know how we're going to get through this, but I'm confident we will. And there's tremendous power in that um, if you if you can convey that and you genuinely believe it. And I think as a leader, you have to suspend the belief on how you're going to get things done sometimes. Yeah. I think so. You know, it, it, let's face it, it, complex problems also have more than one solution. So you may not know what the the best path is, but somehow you have to choose a path. And then there are obviously some situations where there's a high levels of uncertainty about what to do next. And usually what I tell people when, when they're in that situation is let's imagine that you fell into a pitch black hole. You, you cannot climb out of the hole. No one saw you fall in. You will, no one's going to rescue you. How do you get out of the hole? Uh, you can't see the entrance, and, and, and there you are. And the answer to the question is very simple. You take a step and see what happens. Mm-hmm. And if, if you step out and you don't feel anything under your foot, then obviously you pull your foot back. But basically you step and learn, step and learn, step and adapt, step and learn. And I, I'm excited about organizations that learn this idea because now it's not, again, the star leader who says, this is it and it doesn't matter what we're going to, hell or high water, we're going to do this and we're going to make it and, you know, blah, blah, blah. It's uh, let's, let's learn as we go. In a world where things are changing so fast, um, this idea of uh, bring yourself to the challenge, trust yourself, take a step, see what happens get better each time. I think those are things that really work in leadership these days. Yeah. Oh, I love that. I love that analogy too. I love that, uh, that whole, I, I love that. I might have to steal that for a presentation if you don't mind. Yeah. I use that in presentations. <laughs> Go ahead and steal it because I think, you know, you sort of get a little uh, like, Oh gee, I don't know. How would you get out? Well, if you don't take a step, you'll obviously die in the hole. That's right. Oh, I love that. Hey, real quickly, who was? I'm curious who um, who's had the most tremendous impact on you as a leader. Well, I'm so thankful for so many people who early on in my journey 
believed in me more than I believed in myself. And, and this would be teen years and high school years. There were, there's just a basketball coach. There's a youth worker. Um, there, are, there are teachers in high school. There are people who looked at me and saw things in me that I didn't see. So I'm so thankful for that. In later years, in more recent time, uh, authors obviously have had a huge impact on me. And and the Leadership Challenge by Akuzis and Posner is um, is my favorite leadership yeah. book. I mean, I've written, I've read lots and lots of books and talked to lots and lots of authors. And there are there's so many gr- there's so much great stuff. But the Leadership Challenge uh, by Akuzis and Posner caught me just at the right time, and it gave me a framework to hang my leadership on. So I'm, I'm so thankful for them. It's funny you brought them up. Um, I love that book too, but for me, it was their, um, the truth about leadership was kind of the same mm. thing for me. Um, mm-hmm. my, my absolute, my favorite leadership book by far. And, yep. uh, I was so glad to have, uh, Jim. He was early on. Um, he was, he was, in fact, he was the first guy when we were talking earlier, you were asking me how I got started. He was the first guy that accepted to do an interview on the podcast. And so, he's such a wonderful guy. Yeah, he is a he's a true, true genuine gem, and uh, he's been really helpful uh, f- to me and connecting me with other guests and and giving me encouragement. And he's just he's just a solid guy. Yep. Well, gosh, man, I'm so glad talking about solid guys. I'm so glad that I got in touch with you. I mean, I could sit there and talk to you for hours about this. I'm going to have to have you come back on the show because we could, maybe we can pick like a, uh, a relevant topic and maybe we can have like a themed interview or something. We can, you know, we need to think about doing that. I would love to have you back on the show. Well, thanks for saying that. And if I can be helpful, I'm always glad to do that. Guys, leadership freak, you need to go find him. Uh, what's uh, is it? It's just leadership. If you Google leadership freak, you're going to find it. I'll have a, a link to it on my website. Is there anything else you want me to, to plug? Um, Damn. Uh, no, that's great, Richard. It, it, all you got to do is go to Google and type in Leadership Freak, and uh, I'm I'm all over the place. So, yep, you got to check out his blog, folks. It's one of the best ones out there. And uh, so, Dan, thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Pleasure. We'll talk again. Richard invites you to become a part of the Dose of Leadership community. Visit doseofleadership.com and sign up to receive his free Common Sense Leadership ebook, a guide that highlights how all of us can learn to become calm, confident consistent and courageous in all aspects of our lives. Richard is also available as a speaker for your next event. Richard specializes in practical leadership and change management. He has a philosophy of inspiring everyone to think and act like a leader, which is based on timeless natural principles and common sense. You can get more info by visiting doseofleadership.com.